morning, everybody. Take your Bible this morning. Let's go in the book of Luke, the fifth chapter. And as you're turning to the book of Luke, chapter 5, let me welcome those who are joining with us this morning. I'm believing today that as God ministers through the Word, that not only is He going to minister to us, but He's going to minister to everyone who is watching today. And so we're just trusting for God to touch their lives in every venue and every place that watches this broadcast today, as well as the campuses, that the presence and the power of God's going to be there. Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse number 27, says this. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So Levi left all, rose up, and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we're talking about transformers that each and every one of us are called to make a lasting difference. And over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about some different aspects of how that we do that. We talked the first week about the power of compassion, how that the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion, and how that you and I are called by God to live uh, with compassion in our lives. Last week, uh, we talked about defeating spiritual racism, uh, that we have to learn how to approach everyone as though that they are accepted in the Lord uh, and, and because of what He has done. Today, I want to talk about invading the darkness. Uh, I believe that if we're really going to be transformers, if we're really going to make a difference, that one of the things that we've got to do is that we've got to invade the darkness. We've got to go uh, into those places where a lot of people don't want to go. Listen to what Jesus said, Acts 1 and 8. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus set it up this way, and he said, you know what? He said, I'm calling you to invade the darkness. He said, I, wherever darkness is, I, that's where I want the church to be. How many of you know a lot of times that's the last place you can find the church? Amen? I, I mean, come on, really. The, if you want to find the church, if you want to find the body of Christ, uh, you usually can't find it in the dark places. You know, we, we want to gather in light places. We want to gather uh, in places where uh, everybody's good and everybody looks like us and thinks like us and acts like us. Amen? I, I, now, let me, just, let me just help you for a moment here. I think it would be the most boring church to go to if everybody looked alike, acted alike, thought alike. Amen. I've, I've been in some of those churches. I, I can remember years ago that there was a certain church uh, somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole that their pastor wore a bow tie. And every time you would see one of the men from his church, you knew whose church he went to because every man in that church wore a bow tie. Uh, you know, I just think that's boring. I think that we need to go places and be a part of something uh, where everybody is not the exact same thing. And, and so God has called us. He said, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, after that the Spirit has come upon you, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost 
parts of the earth. Now, when we read that, that that's kind of doesn't really fit in our theology and doesn't fit in our geography either because it's not where we are. So let me kind of break that down. When, when Jesus said, I want you to start in Jerusalem, what he was saying is, is, is I want you to start at your home. Your home area, your home environment, your neighborhood, the, the, the place that's around you that you work in. That, that's where I want you to start is where Jesus said, he said, I want, I want you to deal with your home. How many of you know that sometimes it's easier to witness to unbelievers that you don't know than it is to witness to your own family? Right? One of the reasons is they know us pretty well, don't they? But, but Jesus said, I, I want you to start in your home. I want you to start in your region. I want you to start, uh, I, I want you to be a witness and I want you to be a light even in your home church and, and to be involved in ministry and to be involved in the, he said, that, that's where you start. And then he said, I want you to go to Judea. Well, now, where, where is Judea? Judea is the region. See, here's, here's the problem a lot of times with believers is, is that we keep God locked in a very small box. And we can only focus on, you know, kind of a two-by-four God. But, but God's bigger. God wants you to say, wait a minute. And in fact, he told the disciples one time, he said, look on the harvest fields. He said, they're white already to harvest. He said, get your eyes off of looking down. And he said, start looking up. And so the Lord said, listen, when, when you come to that place of giving your life to me and you're living for me, he said, what I want you to do, he said, I want you to make a difference, not just in your home, not just with us four and no more. You ever heard those kind of prayers? Lord, bless me, bless my wife, bless my husband, bless my kids. Bless us, oh God, help us. We need more, Lord. Thank you, we're gone. I've told this, but it's, it's one of the best stories I've ever seen. Uh, a few years ago, I read in Leadership Magazine that there was a church out west uh, that was, was getting ready to close their doors. They had four members left, and they were closing their doors, and, and their whole reason for closing their doors is is that as soon as their last member died they were going to close the door but they they were not accepting any new members and the reason that they were not accepting any new members is, is that they had a cemetery out behind the church there were four plots i'm not making this up there were four plots still available and they were going to get those four plots and they were going to shut the doors of the church i i just think that warms the heart of god I just think God looks down at that and goes, that is exactly what I had in mind when I sent my only begotten son to die for the world. I mean, come on, we, we've got to get to that place where we're not just looking at, at us and what's, what's around us, but that we really began to look at the region. Then, then he said, not only Jerusalem, Judea, and then he said Samaria. Now, that's interesting that he threw Samaria in there. Here's, here's what Samaria is about. Samaria were, were people who the Jews considered half-breeds. They, they looked down on them. They were a mixed race of people that nobody else uh, really wanted to spend time with, and the Jewish people sure didn't and yet Jesus said look when this endowment when this power comes upon you he said I don't want you just to reach out to people who are like you he said I want you to go cross culturally he said I want you to have people in your fellowship who don't look like you who don't think like you and who weren't raised like you amen what was it Martin Luther King said years ago that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning you know what? Sad to say it's not much different now. 
But God has called us not just, you know, I'm, I'm white, although I like to say I am African-American. For those of you who don't understand that, I was born in Africa, all right? Uh, and, and, but, but I'm white. What would it accomplish me to only pastor white people? People who are like me. I, I need to be able to go cross-culturally uh, to, to people who are Hispanic, to people who are African-American, to people uh, who, whatever their background, whatever they're, wherever they're coming from, and to be able to relate to that. Because I'm, let me help you just a minute. When you get to heaven, the Bible says there's going to be people from every race, every kindred, and every tongue around the throne of the Almighty God when we get there. So, so we're called not just to our home, not just to our region, but we are called to go cross-culturally as well. And then lastly, he said, go into the entire world. He said, go trans-globally. He said, he said don't even think uh, just about your own community. You, you know what? Uh, um, Americans, uh, hang on a second, Americans can be pretty prideful. Now, I don't want to live anywhere else. I've been a lot of places. I've lived other places, and I, I don't care to go live in any other place. But I want to tell you, God didn't call us just to win America. God called us to win the world. And, and so we, we've got to be ready to do that. In fact, our mission statement here uh, at Love and Truth Church is that Love and Truth Church is called to be a place of supernatural power impacting the world, showing unconditional love, reaching the lost, and bringing all people to maturity in Jesus Christ through obedience to His holy word. That's what we're called to do. That's what God has called us uh, as a ministry to do is to touch the world. But you know what I found out recently? I was, I was doing some research about missions, and I found out uh, that the greatest mission field in the world is China. There, there are, there's about a billion-plus people in China. It's the greatest mission field in the world. The second greatest mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ is India. India has more people. There's only about somewhere between 2 to 4% of the, uh, people in India uh, who are Christians. 80% are Hindu. Uh, but you know where the third largest mission field is? The third largest mission field in the world is America. Now, we don't think that, but it is true. The, the people group of America that don't know Jesus is the third largest in the world. I want to tell you, as great as we think America is, and we call it a Christian nation, we've got our work cut out for us. It's time that we begin to reach the world, but not only the world, but we've got to reach this present place that God has called us in. So we, we've got to learn how to invade the darkness. Now, in the book of Luke there, where I began to read to you this morning, it's, it's a setting where Jesus decides to invade the darkness. He said, you know what? I'm going to go out of my way, and I'm going to get into a place that other people won't go. And, and so I want to talk about how that we go about invading the darkness. Look, look in verse 27 and 28. It says, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, let me explain to you again tax collectors. Tax collectors in our day are not the, the, the person that we really call our friends. But I want to tell you, in that day, tax collectors were the crookedest people around. They were the ones uh, who stole from people. They took money. I mean, it, it was, and they had the law uh, behind them. They could take everything they wanted to, and you didn't have any recourse about that. And so everybody hated tax collectors. Nobody wanted to be seen with those people because they were such outcasts in society. 
And yet the Bible shows us on a number of occasions where Jesus just goes right into the place that nobody else wants to go. And so this is one of them. He said he saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So Matthew left all, rose up and followed Jesus. Now, now let, me, let me show you some things about invading the darkness. First of all, you've got to settle this. The lost need our love. If we're going to be transformers making a lasting difference in the world, we've got to understand that people who don't know Jesus Christ need our love. They don't need our judgment. They don't need our condemnation. They don't need our picket signs. They don't need us holding a 20-pound Schofield reference Bible and shaking it in their face and telling them they're going to hell. They know they are. I mean, you know, when anytime an unbeliever is around a believer, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ convicts them. It's just the nature of the Spirit of God in us. But, but it's interesting how, how different the world sees the church and how it sees Jesus. When, when any poll is taken about the church in America or even the church around the world, the church gets a very negative rating. But when they ask the same people who give a negative rating to the church what they think about Jesus, overwhelmingly, even in countries that are not Christian, they still give Jesus high marks. Now why is that? Could it be that the church has forgotten how to love? Now I want to tell you something. It's easy to love people when they do what you want them to do. Right? Uh, everybody who's had more than one child knows that you have to be careful not to play favorites with your kids. Oh, I, I love the looks I just got. I'll just look this way, I won't look at them. All right? Because usually in a family, if you have more than one child, there, there is one child, for whatever reason, comes out docile, comes out, easy, never challenges anything, just loves to be happy, and then there's the other kid. And I'll have to confess I was the other kid. And I know that there were days that my mom and dad said if we'd known it was going to be like this, we'd have stopped with one. And, and, you know, and, and it's the same way in the kingdom of God. It's the same way as believers. It's, it's easy to love people who are, are willing just to fall in a line and do what you ask them to do. But the Lord didn't just call us to love people who were kind and generous and loving. In fact, he told us, he said, love your enemies. Let me ask you a question. How many of you this morning have some enemies? I just want to see... If Who's not raising their hand? Because I want to know what your secret is. I've got enemies. I've got people to tell stuff about me all the time. And I'm just going, where'd they come up with that? I, I, I mean, I, I commit enough stuff on my own that they shouldn't have to make stuff up on me. And, and they just, you know, they just do. It's just like, I, if, in fact, I told somebody a while back, I said, I said, if I tried, 24 hours a day, I couldn't do everything that I'm accused of doing. 
you know, so everybody's got enemies. But you know what? The Lord didn't even give me the right to hate them. And there are moments that I want to hate them. Wow. I mean, there, there are moments that I, I just, I, I don't want to turn the other cheek. There are moments I want to take a two-by-four upside their head. I mean, you know, it's, it's just those things. And yet, the Word of God says that I, I'm, I'm to love. I'm, I'm to be in that place. Uh, Barna Research tells us that somewhere around, around half the people who don't go to church would go to church if somebody would just ask them. If somebody who loved them, if somebody who was in their life and just had a relationship with them just said, hey, would you want to go to church? They said, yeah, I, I would go to church. See, he, here's the deal. The question on the minds of people who don't know Jesus is, will I find love if I ever go to a church? And, and the interesting thing is, is that, is that I think a lot of times that answer is no, they won't. You know, have you looked at society lately? No, I don't, I don't want to get in your business, but there's some strange people in this world. I mean, there are people coming with all kind of stuff. I'm not going there because some of you got them. And, 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 and I just look at that and I go, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy in a lot of ways. And, and I look at some people and they got all these modifications and I'm going, what in the world are you thinking? Now, it's just me. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I just, I just wonder what you're thinking. And, and yet, if you're not careful... You, you will begin to project to people an air of, of superiority, an air of arrogance, and, and all of a sudden, instead of them feeling your love, what they feel is your unacceptance of who they are. And yet Jesus, look what Jesus did. Jesus got the guy that nobody wanted to hang with. Jesus got the person that nobody wanted to be around, and he stopped. He didn't stop at the synagogue leader's house. He stopped and said, I, I want to hang out with the tax collector. He showed his love to them. And so if we're going to transform the darkness, we've got, we've, got to, uh, we've got to love people. Secondly, look in verse 29. It says, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. The, the second thing that people need is that friends need our fellowship. Now, isn't it interesting? D did you read, in fact, look at that again if you would. It, it said that Levi made a feast, and look who he invited. It said he invited tax collectors. Well, why did he invite tax collectors? Because there wasn't anybody else who'd hang out with him. So he just invited the people who he ran with. You know what I found out through the years? I found out if you can find somebody who does not know Jesus Christ and you can get into their life and get them to the place where they will come to a knowledge of Jesus, that all of a sudden you will begin to see their friends and their family begin to come to Jesus. There's a Greek word for it. It's called oikos. It's O-I-K-O-S. And, and that word means friends, families. It means relationship. And the evangelism that God calls us to is this oikos evangelism. It's, it's touching those people who, who we already have fellowship with. Th there are people in your life who if you, if you would have a party, they would come. Now, if you have a Bible study, they're not coming. 
No, I'm serious. You call them up and say, hey, uh, we got 20 people getting together tonight, and we're going to study the book of Numbers. They're not coming. They just are not coming. But you say, hey, I, I've got 20 people coming. We're going to have a barbecue. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cook some hot dogs and hamburgers, and we're going to hang out a while. Why don't you come? They'll come. I know it's a radical thought. Pastor, we need more Bible study. No, we need more hot dogs and hamburgers. You know, I've said for years, we've all heard enough sermons to get us to heaven and back. Problem is, we're back. Now, I'm not against Bible study. Don't misquote me. But what we need, if, if we want to touch people, is, is we need places. See, there, there's, there's something that's disarming about eating with somebody. When you break bread with somebody, there's something that happens in that moment that, that transforms them and, and brings them to that place. That, that, that's why it's, it's hard to be mad at somebody you're eating with. That's why Jesus went and he ate with sinners and he ate with publicans and he hung out with people that other people didn't want to hang out with. And the reason was is that he knew that if he would fellowship with them, he could touch them, and their lives would be transformed. See, if you really want to invade the darkness, you can't invade the darkness from the light. The only way to invade the darkness is to go where the darkness is. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand that it is unnatural for someone who does not know Jesus Christ to come to a church meeting. Do, do you understand that? It's not a natural thing for them to show up at a church meeting. It's natural for them to party on the weekend. It's natural for them to go to the bar. It's natural for them to run. It's, that's what's natural. It's not natural to get up at 8 o'clock, get dressed, grab three screaming kids, throw them in the car, fight with them all the way here. See, they don't know that that's church ritual yet. Get out of the car and you're so mad you slam the door and it almost goes all the way through. And then when you get to the door and the greeter's there and they say, hey, good morning, how are you doing? Oh, we're fine, we're wondering. They don't know that yet. But you know what? They know how to sit down and have a meal with somebody. And if as believers we would say, you know what, I, I'm going to spend, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to fellowship with people who don't know Jesus. Then all of a sudden we are now invading the darkness the way God's called us to. We're going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even into the entire world as God's called us to. Luke 5, 30 says this, and their, and their scribes, and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me explain something to you. Anytime you begin to touch the loss, the critics are going to show up. But let me just tell you this. Critics need our courage. Critics need We, we don't need to bow down to critics. I, I hear stuff said about this church all the time. Well, you ought to see the kind of people that go to that church. 
They got sinners going to that church. I thought that was the point. Well, I got people going to that church. So, man, I, I saw them at the bar last night. Well, that's okay. You know what I decided years ago? I, I, that that I, I wanted the biggest drunk in town to call me their pastor. Because they need one. If anybody needs one, they do. So let me be their pastor. Let the person with the worst reputation say, you know what? That church down there, that, that's where I go to church. When I pastor, if that happens, you know, people will talk about us. So, come on, we, we, need, to, we need to stand up. Here's what I found out years ago. When people get saved, the critics always show up. What well, did they really get saved? Like, you know, did they really receive salvation? Like there's varying degrees. Well, I, you know, what, what about this? And, and, and it's, it's just that whole thing. What, what I found out years ago is that the religious are separatists. Religion always separates. Religion always keeps you apart. True spirituality is loving and inclusive. Jesus loved everybody. Now, he did not approve of everybody. That's where we miss it. We think it has to be either or, and it's not. It's both and. Jesus loved everybody he met, but he also called them to repentance. And that's the same thing the church ought to be doing today. We, we should not allow the critics to stop us from reaching out to people that nobody else wants in their church. If people won't fit in any other church, they ought to fit in a love and truth church. See, the church is not a club. Who was it? I, I read years ago somebody, if you never can remember who said it, just, just say it's either Winston Churchill or John F. Kennedy. So one of those two said that he wouldn't join any club that would have him as a member. See, a lot of times the church becomes a club. And the church was never called to be a club. The church was called to be a hospital. The church was called to be a place that ministered to the hurting, to those who were struggling, to those who didn't have anywhere else to go. See, the church is supposed to love in a way that is restorative. The, the church is not supposed to be a hospital where you just come week in and week out and you remain sick for the next hundred years of your life. That's not what I'm talking about. The church is a place where you come in, in all of your brokenness, in all of your problems, in all of your difficulties, but it's a place that offers restoration. It's the place that helps you to move back to where God wants you to be. It's the place where the presence of God heals you up and binds you up and puts you back together so that you can then... Stand on your own two feet and you can go back out into a world that's hurting and dying and longing for something that's real and say, let me tell you of a place. Let me tell you of some people. Let me tell you of a church that loved me when I was in a mess and my life was destroyed and they helped me to see that God cared about me and they came to my rescue in that moment. 
That's what the kingdom of God is about. And when we understand that, then we'll begin to invade the darkness. We'll not be afraid of what's out there. Recently, we talked to someone. And they said, Pastor, the other day I had to go to a, a bar. And I want to be careful, but it was a, a leader's wife in this house. And, and they said, uh, I had to go get something from somebody who was working there. And as I started to leave, said, this young man called me by name and said, don't you recognize me? And she said, I looked at him and realized all of a sudden it was somebody that I had taught in Sunday school. He said he was sitting at the bar, and he said, come over here and sit down. And she said, I went and I sat down with him. Said, I spent about 15 minutes with him, and I told him, now remember, remember what you were taught. Remember that God loved you. And just explain that to him. And she said, I left. And she said, it wasn't a month later that he passed away. Now, the issue is, is that all of us have opportunities to invade the darkness. Our problem is, we're afraid our reputation is going to be besmirched. Jesus didn't care about his reputation. Jesus cared about the hurting. And so if you and I can come to that place of saying, wait a minute, I'm called to make a lasting difference. It's more about touching someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ than it is about everybody thinking that I'm the most wonderful Christian who ever lived. And so what I want to do is I want to invade the darkness. I want to let other people know that there is a God who loves them and who is so concerned about their life that he sent his only begotten son to die for them so they could have life. That's what it's about. And when we live that way, I promise you, we will be transformers. And we will make a lasting difference in the life of people. Thank you for tuning in today. Please join Pastor Couples next week for another message designed to help you successfully live the Spirit-empowered life. Please log on to our website at www.loveandtruthchurch.com or visit us in person on Oilwell Road in Jackson. And remember, God wants you to lead a Spirit-empowered life.